0: I have on the line the leader of uh, RCT Council, uh, who is Councillor Andrew Morgan. Good morning, Councillor Morgan.
1: Good morning.
0: Now, uh, we set this up actually some time ago with knowing that we had a two-year anniversary coming up. I think it's actually tomorrow, isn't it? The the second anniversary of, uh, of Storm Dennis. So we thought we'd touch base. On, on what happened you know which was terrible and loads of floods happened but there was uh, all sorts of circumstances weather wise and everything else and of course you've been involved in, uh, in your council in preparing reports uh, which is still ongoing as to what actually happened in each of the parts of RCT that were affected and of course the whole of RCT was affected so there were multiple flooding events all, all took place but um, just looking at the weather forecast for this week and a storm coming over tomorrow which the worst of which is likely to be north of here but then on friday it's a sort of direct hit by one of these atlantic storms and they do tend to kind of come along a few days apart don't they in a sequence So we seem to be we've avoided a lot of it this year because they've gone to scotland and northern england instead but these appear to be coming along so what are your thoughts looking at the weather forecasts
1: yeah, well first of all for this week the the two storms as you rightly said wednesday um not a direct hit on Wales, more to the north of the UK, but Friday is one of more concern. Just to say, first of all, that these are not so much of a concern for rainfall levels, which it is going to be banned and periods of heavy rain, and obviously our crews will be out. The biggest risk on Friday is actually from very strong winds, um, and just to say that the storm is still developing, and the advice obviously will be provided uh, later in the week, but Potentially on Friday, this could be an exceptionally strong storm in terms of winds, so the local authority and other agencies could well be issuing public advice uh, in advance. Um, We could potentially see power outages, trees down, etc. So we are keeping a very close watch, but you are right, once once we get into a a certain period, it's a bit like a conveyor belt when these storms come in off the the, um, uh, ocean. It's just we pile up one after another, and that's very, very similar to what happened when we had Storm Dennis, because Storm Dennis was an exceptional storm in the amount of rain that they dumped on our area, particularly over South Wales and southern England, but it was in a period of about 9 or 10 days where we had a succession of storms, and Storm Chiara, if you recall, was the weekend before where we, again, we had a lot of rain, and some parts in RCT at that time had 10 inches of rain, it was over 250 millimetres of rain, yeah. which in any time is is quite exceptional, but It does, unfortunately, when we see these kind of storms line up um, and we're expecting one after another, it does obviously, for a lot of people, bring back memories of two years ago
0: yes yeah, so, well in- indeed and and you say the you know, these processions of storms the things that they can tend to do is lay down you know lots and lots of water uh, which then saturates the ground so that when you have another storm the water just runs off the ground rather than sinking into it and so on and uh, as you say uh, there were actually a couple of storms um uh, you know before dennis which had had that effect and kind of filled the ground up if you like and then uh, am i right in thinking because I, I looked at your overview report that you put out which is largely about the weather situation and how the weather conspired really to drop really unusual amounts of rain particularly on the Ronda valleys where the you know the monitoring stations had unprecedented amounts of rain recorded in a short time was it right that actually the storm kind of stopped moving as well
1: yeah well it, it appeared that what normally happens if i say in very simple terms that when we have periods of very heavy rain, um, they're normally short-lived. You're, you're talking maybe like six or eight hours at most. And that means that when the heavy rain, say, the very top of the Cannon at and the very top of the Ronda, say, at you know, Tina, when that heavy rain works its way down the valleys, you know, the river surge as such comes down, by the time it gets down to Potter you no, know, many hours later, then the weather system has moved on so that local catchment isn't then dealing with the local rain coming from local streams and gullies and drains etc. So it kind of balances out um, by the time the peak from up the valleys comes down. Because we had such an intense period of rain the ground was saturated it meant the river levels responded and streams responded very quickly but the rain was so intense over a long period, well over 24 hours that actually um, it was a a kind of a perfect storm of all the things come together at the wrong time. And that's why we saw such devastation across the valleys.
0: At what point when it was all unfolding, uh, because you were very much at the sort of front line, really, of, of, you know, the rising water everywhere and, uh, and being out trying to help people, as indeed all the councillors and elected representatives were trying to help their communities. But at what point did you get to the point where you think, hang on a minute, this is, you know, worse than we expected?
1: If I just go back a little bit, that, that week we were preparing for the storm and the indications were that it was going to be a severe storm, but obviously nothing on the scale of what we did end up facing. Um, but that that day on the Saturday, it was, that I, I had, had a briefing with staff. I'd actually gone out and met some staff who were doing some checks. Um, I went out with one of the supervisors to some of the locations we put in temporary pumps, which was way over and above anything we'd done previously. But just to make sure in some of those hot spots where we put pumps in, and actually, that evening, while the weather was really poor, um, I actually went for some food about 7 o'clock, I came back home about 9 o'clock, and I was relatively uh, relieved that there was relatively minor flooding up until about 9pm, and then I had the first call at about 20 past 10 in the night, so an issue in my own area where the Glenboy pumping station was being overwhelmed, and the roads started flooding, and we knew that, um, unless that was resolved, the water would continue to rise and then houses would flood. I was back and forth there until about midnight. I then received a few calls of other issues in my own local area, so as the local councillor was out and about, I was speaking to our staff on the ground um, elsewhere, getting a bit of a picture, and we were generally up until about 11, 12 o'clock, we were getting some no, significant numbers of calls, but nothing that um, would actually kind of describe the night as it would unfold. And it was probably um, around 1pm when we called up the emergency plan into uh, the location of Grand Boy, because at this point, properties were then being inundated and we feared even the fire engines pumped the water, that the water would get um, several feet deep in a, a lot of houses. We would start to get in the picture then, probably about half plus past one. And then I had a call from members member of staff shortly after that, who probably the worst call now, the worst kind of message you get is that cars had been seen going down the river underneath Pompey Bridge and that one had his headlights on. Um that was the point when uh both the emergency services and local authority were coming to terms with the scale of what was happening at several points across the country. And at that point you now obviously fears are that somebody in a car may have been swept away and we could be looking at deaths. Um around that time both myself and emergency planning, uh, we're making contact with key officers in the local authority, senior officers, and engaging with emergency services. And then the decision was taken that we would set up uh, an operations office at one of our local depots, which was at Abercrombie, and it was the most convenient for senior officers to get to because of the road network was really, you know, quite difficult that night. And then by the time we all arrived and we were then getting updates through emergency planning and through the local resilience forum, so the police and all the emergency services were dialed in, it started to become clear, I would say, probably at 3pm, uh, sorry, 3am in the morning, the actual sheer scale of what was happening. Council services and our staff uh, and our call centre and the staff on the ground were simply overwhelmed by this point. And when we were discussing the emergency services, it was the same message coming back both from the police and from the fire service that the number of calls for assistance coming in was far outstripping anything that we could provide. So for a period of time, it was only the most very urgent calls we were dealing with. Um, and I also recall that, you know, some of the some of the stories and some of the updates we were getting at the depot from staff out on the ground, we also realised that obviously a lot of our council staff were also put themselves at risk in trying to go and help people. Um, we had cars trapped in deep flood water, um, houses being inundated, people uh, in those houses, some didn't have upstate go to, you know, in some cases there's Um and I know our staff, I, I've already seen some you know, photos of videos where staff in, in water up to their waist trying to get to help people so it was quite concerning at that point because, you know, as I say, the, the real worry for us was the amount of damage to property which was taking place, the biggest concern was actually would we find the by daylight there'd been a loss of life in the country and that was probably something which was the most concerning at that point.
0: Yes and, and I, I think fortunately um, there wasn't loss of life was there over that night?
1: Not directly no we, we were very fortunate and I, I do say that I think it was simply by I think that the fact that it happened at night um, which meant a lot of people went out on the roads that um, I, I do honestly think that you know if the, the storm had hit at a slightly different time We could have seen a very different outcome. You know, cars being swept away, parked cars, I would say, were being swept away into the river. Potentially, you know, if that had happened at 5 p.m., 6 p.m., potentially that could have been people in those cars being swept off the road into the the river and, and, and we would have been looking at potentially a severe loss of life. Yes, and of course
0: uh, the actual you know volume of water. Unless you actually go along and look, uh, as I did afterwards, you know the the Marks and Spencer's bridge in the centre of, of Ponty. I mean, we had those pictures of uh, water feet deep across the whole centre of Ponty, really. And. The, uh, the park was inundated, the, you know, the Lido was completely underwater, and, and everything wrecked there. But when you actually looked at the, um, the Marks and Spencer's bridge, you know, with the grill, the, the handrail as you go over, I mean, that's some considerable distance above the water. And it had lots of bracken and, and logs and stuff stuck in it, because that had been the height of the water. And it, unless you actually look at things like that and think, my goodness me, it's several feet higher than you could possibly imagine it to be.
1: Yes, certainly. If if you would, if your listeners could think that uh, were, then on the Marcus Spencer's Bridge, then simply the water that night on the river would have been just about waist height. Mm. Only about a foot from the top of the handrails on that bridge. So certainly, um, you know, compared to normal levels, it, it was quite exceptional. If you consider Sion Street, at Quantipri, you now a number of those properties they are protected by flood walls, which were put in a number of years ago. And the fact that the river didn't just flood the the road, which in severe weather, and under the modelling, it does show that the the road would flood, but for the water to come so high that it actually overtopped those floodgates and flood walls on the front of the houses, that is quite exceptional, and that was when you ever modelled by NRW in a real extreme circumstance, which ultimately this was. Now, 1979 was the record on that river previously. Um, This flood beat that record which is obviously the you know, best part of 40 years ago and it didn't just match it it beat it by over half a metre mm. so we were 18 inches high, that river was 18 inches higher than what it was in 1979 so that does put in context the scale of what happened
0: Yes, well, absolutely. And and, and what obviously um, sort of flood um, walls and, and, you know, things to try and avert this kind of disaster were put in after the last occasion all those years ago and uh, proved not to be adequate because it was even worse this time and, you know, unprecedented amounts. But how much do you think global warming because it tends to you know drop more rain on us now the storms just seem heavier as they come along so there's more water to deal with how much do you think global warming will make it well virtually impossible to ever totally kind of insulate ourselves from this kind of issue
1: well all the advice we get in is that you know these storms will become more frequent they will become wetter we could see In the future, between 10 and 30% more rainfall than what we get now. Um, And and some of these changes are obviously already baked in in terms of where we are projecting due to climate change. But we also have to recognise that while in lots of areas, um, there are now studies being done by NRW in terms of the River Rhondda Taff and Cannon, in terms of the modelling. That hopefully will inform a future works programme of flood defence improvements And these reports are due to be uh, finalised both this year and next year. So hopefully we will see a programme of works coming forward. I think we also have to be honest and recognise, and certainly I've discussed it with NRW, in some locations it's just simply not going to be possible to protect people's homes. Um, And that comes down then to some real difficult conversations about, well, do we just manage the risk as best as possible But knowing in a severe flood event uh, an area could be inundated or do we have to make a difficult decision um, and work the residents to say, well, actually, we can't protect your home, and in 30, 40, 50 years' time, this could could become more frequent, um, and possibly those homes may need to be demolished uh, and people relocated. So there is a lot to think about, um, and that's where the modelling that NRW and the specialists are doing would be so key to start having conversations about where can the government invest in new flood defences and do we need to consider almost retreating back from the river? Because we know, I even mean, if you put a flood defence in now, that might not suffice in 30 or 50 years' time. Or also, if by putting a flood defence in in one area, you're simply pushing the water further down, and then you're going to flood another area. So there's lots to take into account on this.
0: Well, yes, absolutely. Well, that's a sort of big picture situation, isn't it? Now, Obviously, you've come under some criticism, not you personally, but the council, for the time it's taking to produce these flood reports, because they have to be, I know, very exacting. Um, and I think, is it nine out of the 19 you, you've done uh, so far? Um, what is the sort of process of preparing these reports? Because they have to be to a particular legal um, status, don't they?
1: Yeah, I want to say, first of all, that you know, I do share people's frustration in the time it takes to reception Section 19 reports. The Welsh Government has agreed they will review the process uh, to try and streamline this going forward because you're right, there are statutory reports which do have a legal status as well. We have to be very careful in terms of um, what is actually produced as part of this because it could lead to either legal action by individual parties or at the same time you could end up blighting properties. Um, if the report basically says that a, a property is highly vulnerable for flooding, and this is the reason why it could then cause significant issues for, for example, for insurance on properties, so there is a very you know, careful process you got to go through. I'd like to say first of all that I know a few people have referred to there's only been nine reports done, but that is not 100 percent true. While there's nine of the sorry, while there is nine of the 19 section 19 reports completed, so there's 10 section 19 reports remaining to be done. There was an overview report carried out and also 28 individual flood investigation reports and the flood investigation reports are the first stage and then those which need to move on to a section 19 and in effect that's the second stage so we have so far uh, actually done 38 reports um, across the, uh, the county and there is still 10 remaining so 38 uh, is my of 48 that are being produced but it is a really you know, long-winded process. And the other thing I would say is we are using a number of specialist consultants to try and accelerate this work, um, even with the time frame we're talking about. And the other problem is, of course, a number of these consultants, and in particular our council officers, who are working through and have responsibility for signing off these reports, they are the same people who are now leading on a multi-million pound investment programme. So the difficulty is trying to get the balance right of off the time between working on the reports, which absolutely are our priority, but at the same time putting bids into Welsh Government, overseeing projects to be delivered, and then ultimately sending the claim returns. And it is a real pressure on the staff, and we've we've more than probably trebled the size of the team because of the amount of investment that's going in now to flood uh, alleviation schemes. But it is, you know, there's no excuse I could say other than it is taking far too long but that is part of the process, and the Welsh Government has said to us who will help us review the process of Section 19 so that in the future, reports can be much swifter and hopefully more meaningful for residents.
0: Well, of course, we're in unprecedented times, too, aren't we? Because who could have envisaged, um, uh, you know, a deluge on the scale over such a large geographical area, as well, and hundreds and hundreds of properties affected. So, you, you know, I guess the um, the technical processes—no one could have thought that so many um, reports would need to be prepared simultaneously. But yes, I take I take the point that that you've made there. Can I
1: say that's a really good point to tell you that the. The flood investigation report, the way it's set out, if there was a sea flood, um, you would probably have one report for the area. If you were in a city and you had a uh, river flood, you would probably have one report for that flooding incident. We, unfortunately, have had to do an individual report for each flood area. So the flooding in Pontypris, while it was from the same river, the flooded area was not connected to to, to the forest, for example. So therefore, there are two separate reports. where we had flooding from culverts in, say, Trilhaverd, or flooding from coverts in Mountain Ash, my own area. Again, although they were all from the same storm or from watercourses, because they were different locations, everyone has to have a different report. So how we get a system that is much more slicker, gets to the facts, gets the answers people want, um, is something we are now discussing with the Welsh Government about a review. Okay. Well, on,
0: on previous conversations we've we've had on this, you have made made it clear that the council has moved forward as fast as it can do to do things that obviously need doing. So, and one of these things is to is to build a control room that you've got there at the council HQ, so you can monitor issues like this. I mean, how many th- you know? What practical moves have you made so far?
1: So, actually, out on the ground, first of all, we've we've improved over fifty culverts and. Uh, flood uh, alleviation areas So we've got a much better network Of grills, inlets Upgraded pipes, manholes, etc So a lot of work has been done on the ground As part of that we've installed uh, CCTV cameras Residents may have seen these popping up next to culvert uh, intakes So there's a, a pole it looks like it's a great little boxes, But it's actually a camera with a solar panel on top These give very good images And they're all sent back to our emergency control room so every time there's a yellow or amber warning, our emergency control room is staffed. Uh, it was staffed actually on Sunday. Uh, it was staffed from midnight on Saturday night through until about 7 p.m. on Sunday night. That's in addition to our call centre, which obviously answers calls to members of the public. But the emergency control room, um, we've got a big bank of cameras on the wall there. A member of staff is in there. They're constantly monitoring all the cameras, the culvert and uh, I asked for an update yesterday and I, I can see that I think there were six culverts were run through to our out of hours where uh, that were able to monitor the grill and see, they could see the water levels rising so rather than waiting for something to happen or go wrong and then to be either reported to us or for example we have inspectors out driving around these culverts checking them. but of course now there are hundreds of culverts we can check in real time from a control room and as soon as one of the culverts looks as though that's starting to become an issue we can send the crew there And also, we're not wasting crew time by driving around from culvert to culvert just inspecting them. We can send the crews to the culverts that the cameras are telling us there's a problem on. So we do have now a much better process in place. It's not going to be totally foolproof, because in the event of we had another storm Dennis, I'm sure there will be lots of locations that we still haven't got to yet where we want to improve and upgrade our infrastructure. And I know that, you know, if we had... Uh, a storm on that scale, we would still so, see river flooding on a significant scale. So we need to be realistic about how much we have done. I think we've done an extraordinary amount. We've spent over £13 million by the end of this year just improving culverts alone. We've probably spent in the region of £20 million on repairs, um, and that is expected to grow substantially in the year ahead as we do repairs. For example, a new bridge is going to replace the Castle Bridge, done uh, by Traforest. And and there's various other groups which are due to come forward. Um, So hopefully we, we will see substantial investment continuing now in the next couple of years.
0: Yes, there have been obviously there've been issues, and they've been accentuated politically back along. I haven't had so many conversations about it recently, but I, I know there were issues about who would pay for it, and the UK government were going to help, and then they didn't, and then they did, or whatever. But I mean, are, are you, as you know, the the fellow in charge of the of the authority that is you know overseeing a lot of this work? Are you content that there's enough cash coming through to keep the projects going?
1: Yes, actually. Um we got, It's the reverse situation. I, I, no, I, I'm not being part of political here, but in terms of the Welsh Government, they they really are supporting us with significant sums of cash, both in terms of um, infrastructure repairs following the storm, but also then infrastructure upgrades such as the culverts and flood alleviation schemes. The biggest problem we actually have right now is the availability of enough staff and contractors to deliver the amount of work Um we've been really focusing on designing lots of schemes ready so that we can be proactive in putting lots of, lots of bids in. I have to say, um, no, nearly all the bids, if not all of the bids we've put in have been approved, so we have been able to draw down millions of extra funding. Uh, but then the tendering process, of course now with COVID, there's been a real impact on a lot of uh, companies out there, a lot of construction firms, so they are struggling on occasions with their own staffing levels but of course we also got pent-up demand, so we're during the pandemic, there was you know, a lot of shutdowns and work was scaled back by a lot of construction sector. That work now is all coming to the forefront and there is a real shortage. So in terms of contractors to actually build the culverts, upgrade and carry out the work we want to do, we are juggling things around to make sure that we put as many staff on this as possible. But of course, we've got other works we would like to be doing. We are still trying to keep up with our substantial resurfacing programme on highways and footways we still doing other investment uh, priorities, but it's a
0: balance and a difficult one. Yes, well, well I imagine it is. But it's good to hear that, the, you know, the cash is forthcoming and nothing is being held back because of that. It's more of a, a practical issue about to building contractors and, uh, and all sorts of, of things like that. Um, so moving forward with these reports, once they're out and as they're studied in detail, do they then lead on to other sort of longer-term plans?
1: Yes. um, What I would say is that while these reports have been developed, um, what we've been really keen to say all the way through is that we won't wait until the report is complete. If we can see that it's quite clear that there was flooding from a culvert, um, while there would be a technical assessment, while there would be all the surveys and interviews with residents to fully get the the picture of what happened, if we can see that quite clearly this culvert was overwhelmed either hydraulically meaning that the pipe is just simply not big enough, or whether it was blocked by debris because the amount of washed-down material from the mountain, then we've already designed schemes and we've, we've hit the, the ground running. So I, what I would say is the Abercrombie uh, report, for example, into the flood in our Terrace, when you compare uh, where we were 18 months ago to where we are now on site, we've carried out probably in excess of £200,000 worth of work before that report was even completed because it was blatantly obvious from the photographs and the eyewitness accounts of what happened there. So while there's a technical report that evidences what happened and what needs to happen, we've got on and designed a scheme and already implemented that scheme before the report even came out. So it's getting the balance. This is where I've come back to previously that people shouldn't shouldn't think that just because the reports haven't been completed and haven't been published, please don't think that work on these locations isn't going on, whether they're in the design stage or whether they're physically having works done on site. We are trying to progress all these sites as quickly as possible, irrespective of, of the... Position the
0: reports them Yes, and you mentioned culverts, which of course, in effect, are drains, aren't they? There, you know, um, they can become quite easily uh, contaminated by debris coming down, you know, the mountainside, including bits of trees and rocks and all sorts. And of course, I think I think I'm right in saying that up at Pentra, particularly, who which had a number of flooding events, partly to do with Storm Dennis, but actually at several other occasions, some of the flooding there was due to you know third parties who can remain nameless in this conversation, but stuff getting into the culvert and blocking it up before the storm came along. So it just
1: didn't work very well. Yes, absolutely. Uh, And again, that report on that location, uh, which we do agree uh, an awful lot with the report, which uh, also NRW did do, both reports do actually agree in lots of areas, although clearly there is some disagreement. What the report clearly says is that that culvert had capacity for the amount of water, so this is where we've mapped out the mountain with engineers. They've done uh, a hydraulic modelling that basically says that even in an extreme rain event like Storm Dennis, based on the amount of water that could fall on that mountainside, the pipe is big enough to take that water away. The issue is for us is getting the water into that pipe. And clearly, you know, the photos, the videos that many people have seen about what happened in Pentra, there was hundreds of tonnes of material that came down the mountainside and, and simply buried the culvert so the water couldn't get into it. Very similar things happened uh, both in Amnesia. I was on site last week uh, above Heath Terrace. There's a culvert scheme currently under construction. £700,000 worth of work is currently underway. Around 200 tonnes of stone and material washed on the mountain there completely buried the culvert and then meant all the material washed down to the street. And actually, similar happened in Mountain Ash. Um... I was quoting some figures last week where 280 tonnes of material was cleared by JCBs from the streets in Mountain Ashway, and again, a very big culvert in Kaigaru uh, brought hundreds of tonnes of material down the channel, large rocks, rocks the size of you know, small car wheels were simply being tumbled down the mountainside in the watercourse, mm-hmm. blocked the culvert and actually went over the top of the railings. and. Um, these rocks I'm talking about, which were collected and picked up by the machines, these are in all the surrounding streets. You know, I've got photos showing huge huge piles of material in the streets where all these rocks came down. So it, it is partly now looking at in the future, not just about the culverts and the intakes, so can they manage the water? We need to look more and more now going forward about how we control debris. So whether or not a couple of hundred metres ahead of a culvert, do you put a basin in with gorillas? of the debris is caught and held away from the culverts. Mm. So this work is also going on and now form part of the coming year's bid. So from April we'll be bidding for around £6 to £7 million and a number of these schemes are in the planning.
0: Well, here we are with another week, you know, and a couple of storms coming, one tomorrow and one worse on Friday. Are you happy that um, these culverts are cleared of debris at the moment so that if we have a deluge, at least they'll be able to cope initially? Although obviously you can't, you can't uh, mitigate you know, stuff coming down the mountain as a result of heavy rain, but at least y- you can say that they're clear beforehand.
1: Yeah, so we've got pretty good um, inspection regimes in place with crews, inspectors, and uh, as I say, with all these cameras we now have on some of the real high-priority locations. The storms this week are going to bring a lot of rain, but actually, as I said, there it, it is going to be much more emphasis on the wind this week, and particularly on Friday, which mm-hmm. we're keeping a close eye on. But in terms of inspections, crews will be out now because of the bad weather we've had on the weekend. Crews will be going out around three to 400 culverts over the next few days. Again, make sure, as you said, there are any branches, debris is washed down. If any of the culverts seem to have big debris there, then we do have a a number of gangs with mini-diggers. They will go out there and, and remove any rubble and debris that's also collected. So we've got a much better maintenance regime than ever before. But of course, as you say, we've seen in some cases culverts completely clear a few hours before the storm. And because of the intense rainfall, it's brought so much debris down that in some occasions, even where we had staff on site trying to keep these covers clear, they simply blocked in front of them because the amount of material coming down. And in situations like that where staff are obviously putting themselves at risk then in some occasions, and they have to withdraw, unfortunately. Well, obviously, I
0: mean, in half an hour, we, we we sort of, I suppose, touched the surface, but talked about a lot of the you know the main um, parameters to to all of this issue. Um, hundreds and hundreds of properties were, were were flooded, though, and and people, as you as you say, people, you know, had to take cover upstairs, um, you know, because the water was just so deep. Um, have you anything particular to say to individuals who were flooded to to sort of reassure them at all?
1: What I would say is that. While we are waiting for the NRW reports in terms of the river flooding, the river modelling, that is something that's going to take much longer for us to work through. Um, I will continue and others will continue to lobby and press for investment on the side. In terms of the old new water courses, which did cause significant amounts of the flooding, I just want to reassure people that even where we have done an awful lot of work, and there's an awful lot more still to do, every location is mapped. We are trying to prioritise as much as we can, but just to reassure people that nobody is being forgot about. I know some communities may think, well, they haven't done much in my area. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to, but as I've said, there's simply a limit of how many jobs we can do. So we have over 50 now completed. We have uh, another 50 which will either be completed or in, in the design stage in the coming months. So by this time next year, we would have completed over 100 schemes at the cost of £20 And this programme, I know I've said the Welsh Government, I've said the Ministers and others, we need to continue with this investment, not just in the short term, it needs to continue now for a number of years to make sure the community is given some further reassurance. We can't stop all flooding, but we certainly need to do a lot more to try and manage the flooding and protect people's homes.
0: Excellent. Well, I think we probably need to draw a line under it there, uh, Andrew, because I know you've got other things to go off to. Um, So thank you so much for spending um, over half an hour with us this morning and discussing these issues. They are very, very important to a lot of people who now just get really nervous when the weather forecast comes on. And, you know, this week we're we're kind of um, taking a deep breath. But as you say, it's probably wind rather than rain, although that can be a problem in itself. But thank you so much for spending the time with us. Please come back um, at any point to update everyone on, on this issue or indeed any other issue. Um, you know, Thank you very much for your time this morning.
1: Thanks very much, Swan. Thank you.
0: That's Councillor Andrew Morgan, leader of RCT Council.